Good morning. Welcome to East LJ Baptist Church. So glad to have each of you here today. And for those joining by live stream, welcome as well. Uh, I noticed this morning we've got a number of first-time guests. I know some are here for uh, baptism day. We've got three uh, young folks who came to the Lord this week that will be baptized. And so we're going to just anticipate that celebration. But if you're visiting with us for the first time, uh, we just want you to know we have been captivated by Christ. Through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have seen and we cannot unsee the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. That is, through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, we've come to know the heart of God, His grace and love for us, given so freely through His Son. And we pray that you will see that same beauty that we've seen in, in, in Jesus and become captivated by Him as well. I want to give a quick thank you to Wes Clampett, our treasurer and our finance committee. We will be having a conference immediately following the service and uh, be adopting the budget for the next church year. Thank you to those folks for all their work uh, and uh, just their ministry in, um, in the business of the church. Would you join me in standing as we read from Revelation chapter 1, verses 9 through 20? Revelation chapter 1, verse 9. There, John writes, I, John... Your brother and partner in the tribulation and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos on account of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus and to Smyrna and to Pergamum and to Thyatira and to Sardis and to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed in a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters." In his right hand he held seven stars, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades." Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. We've read this for six weeks now uh, to begin our services, this picture of Jesus, and it never gets any less amazing, the beauty and the grandeur, the awe-inspiring picture that's painted of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I'm thankful that we know Him today, aren't you? That we have a personal relationship with Him, that we know of His grace and His mercy. He is holy, holy, holy. He is all-powerful. He is strong. He's mighty. And yet, He raises us up and reminds us that He came, lived in our place, died on the cross for our sins, and on the third day rose and lives as our Savior today. Pray with me as we pray for our witness to our neighbors and the nations 
and for several families and, and folks in our church today. Lord Jesus, we bow our hearts before you. We praise you for who you are. You are the living one. You hold the keys of death and Hades. And you reign forevermore. Thank you that you loved us and came and saved us through your perfect life and sin atoning death and resurrection. And Father, we pray today for our neighbors, those that we know, family members, co-workers that, that need to understand who Jesus is. Maybe they've heard his name, but they've never trusted him. God, use us to witness to them, to, to tell them what Christ has done and of your love and grace. Lord, for the nations that have yet to hear the name of Jesus, uh, who've, who've never even known who he is or anything about what he's done for us, Lord, we pray you would raise up missionaries and take, to take the gospel to those places. Lord, today we want to pray for the family of Chris Jones. We pray for your comfort. And, and just the tenderness of your spirit to draw near to that family. Lord, we lift up Judy Williams today, continuing to pray for her uh, healing and, and as she's in uh, physical rehabilitation. Thank you, Father, for some good progress even yesterday. Lord, we pray for Ray Thompson as he recovers um, from neck surgery. We praise you that Vicki White is doing very well following uh, the removal of a brain tumor. We continue to lift up Lana Weberg, Larry Colson. Uh, Father, we pray for Sophia Deerwent as she'll be having um, surgery here in just a couple weeks uh, to deal with cancer. We pray for Nancy Mosher. Uh, Lord, we lift up young man Jose Manuel that we've been praying for this week. We thank you for answered prayer for Ricky LaCroix. And God, this morning we pray for Miss Ginger Holder who took another fall and pray for Ann as she cares for her. Lord, thank you that we are able to call you Father, and we stand in awe, as John says, behold, what manner of love that we, through the grace and mercy of God in Christ, should be called children of God. Father, thank you that this morning, along with the angels of heaven, we can rejoice in the salvation of three more uh, young folks, and we praise you that we get to celebrate their baptism in just a few moments. We praise you and we thank you for all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Remain standing as we worship in song. And after this first song, we will uh, celebrate baptism. Pastor Trey will be baptizing three of our young folks this morning. It's good to see everybody. Uh, Joe's taking a little bit of leave to recharge. And so we're going to try to represent him well. So you guys please sing with me. <laughs> Bye. 
so glad to see y'all today and today we're privileged to be able to baptize three folks uh, two just just recently accepted Christ and Hannah got saved earlier this this year and and so we've got three young people that are coming to follow in obedience to baptism for those of you who may not know all the ins and outs of baptism but you're here today let me just take one second to explain we don't believe that baptism has anything to do with the salvific part of knowing Christ. It's a following act of obedience. And so these kids are already saved and they're already right with God. But by coming to do this baptism, showing you, showing the church, they're here and they're ready to serve. It's also a beautiful picture of how we're dead in our sins, completely and totally unable to do anything of our own. But we then die to ourselves. We die and the blood of the Lamb covers us. And then we are resurrected unto new life. So what a glorious picture it is of resurrection. When we do this, when we do baptism, it's special as a church. Amen? Amen. And so let us pray. We're going to invite our first guest down here. And this water is colder than we thought it was going to be. Okay? So y'all pray for that. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you those, the most this morning for obedient children, teenagers that are courageous enough to take a step and say, I want to be baptized. I want to follow what Jesus said and did. And God, I pray that as they continue their walk with Christ, that they will only grow deeper in their obedience. That when you speak to their hearts, that they will follow. That they'll not put it off. That they'll not have a regret that they didn't listen to you. And we come together as a church in faith and ask for that for these who we're baptizing today. In Jesus' name, amen. A.J. Pulliam, come on down, brother. Isn't it? It is. I told you. No, it's not. Grab a hand there, buddy. No, Jesus. I told you. Can y'all see him? 
Okay. We forgot to get the step stool. I was supposed to do that. Oh, don't touch that. No. Now, one thing we don't do, everybody, is this right here is held by suction. And so if that were to be touched in the wrong way, um, the drum set, we've been needing a new one, right? So, all right, turn around this way, everybody. So don't touch the glass, okay? AJ, what happened to you, bud? I got saved. Amen. <laughs> Yes, I am. <laughs> All right, can you cross your arms for me, okay? And I'm gonna remember, I'm gonna grab your wrist, huh? All right. Please don't push me so far. <laughs> <laughs> we'll not push you too far now. All right, here we go. Here in this place, Lord, we gather to baptize this our brother, A.J. Pulliam, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. There's a little more pressure in here today than there is with Chad is typically in here. It's a little more, it's a little more elevated. Okay. We're going to invite Hannah Ferguson down. Alright, can you take a few steps this way for me? There we go. He just told Praise the Lord. Okay. Hannah, what happened to you earlier this year? got saved. Have you ever been any different than you were after you got saved? Or did it change your life? Yes. Yes. Why are you here today? To get baptized. Amen. We're really proud of you and as a church we say amen. We're proud of her and her decision. So please cross your arms for me and uh, you ready? Hold your breath. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for this time that we can come to baptize Hannah, this our sister, in an act of obedience in baptism. And we do so in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Hold your breath. Now that elbow didn't help quite go all the way under so I had to really push. So that's why you saw her fighting a little bit. We're not going to have it done halfway. That'll be done right. Josephine Royer, y'all give her a little encouragement as she comes. Don't touch the glass. I'm not going to touch it. <laughs> Josephine was saved on Wednesday night. <laughs> we had a, another young lady who may have been saved. We're going to have continued conversations with her, but God moved in a powerful way on Wednesday, and Josephine has been with us and. We appreciate you and we're proud of you. Amen, church? Amen. So uh, tell them what happened to you Wednesday. What happened? Um, I came to Wednesday night um, youth group thinking, saying that I wanted to get myself closer to God because I felt really distant towards him. And he talked about the gospel, about how we need to give ourselves to him. And so I did. Amen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Will you take uh, two steps forward for me and cross your arms? We come together today to baptize this, our sister, Josephine Royer. As a church, we promise to just stand beside her and help her and pray for her. 
God, we baptize her in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, unless there's anybody else, that's all we've got for you for this section. And we'll turn it back over and, and see you in a minute. Please sing with me. I'll just stay seated. With your heart and lead me 
So, so 
Father, thank you for your unending goodness, for your unceasing love, Lord, for your love that does chase us down, even in our rebellion. Lord, it happened to every one of us that know you today. None of us came knocking on your door seeking you. Lord, you came after us, pursued us in grace and mercy and love. And it was your love that overcame us. Father, how we pray. We just pray right now if there's any in the room. Any join us via live stream, Lord. Any on our hearts that we know that are running from you. God, we pray that you would continue to run after them. By your spirit and through the gospel, Lord, your love, even as it's done in our lives, would capture their hearts, break the chains of sin, Lord, and overcome them that they might know the joy and the peace and the freedom of living as sons and daughters of the living God. Father, thank you for revealing yourself to us in Scripture. Thank you, Father, for showing us the beauty of Christ, even in the book of Revelation. Thank you for the challenges we've received and even, again, will today receive as we hear the words of Jesus to the individual seven churches there in Revelation 2 and 3. Lord, we praise you that it is only by your grace, it is only because of your love, it is only in Jesus that we can stand before you, but because of him, Lord, we can walk with you day by day. And I thank you that, Jesus, you are a patient and kind and gentle and faithful and good, even as we just sung, Savior. Thank you for, Lord, your ongoing mercy with those of us who profess to follow you. Lord, you give us all so much mercy and grace every day. There, it's, it's unending. It's new every morning. Lord, challenge us by what we see in your word today. Continue your work in our hearts in this place. Now we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Father, we just continue prayerfully now and thank you that we can just look to you and even as a church just pray for what you're doing uh, in this place, in this moment, and in the hearts and lives of uh, our sister here. And we just thank you, Father. Pray that you would 
work just as is needed.
Amen. Thank you, Trey and Juliana. And because he lives, we have hope. Because he lives, we are uh, always welcome to come to him, to cry out to him, to seek his face about whatever it may be. Amen. And what a joy and privilege it is just as a church to join our hearts together in extended time of prayer as God deals with uh, one of our own and in, in, in however that, that may be. Amen. Well, we ought to pray again. <laughs> Father, thank you for your presence, the reality, the, the realness of your presence in this moment. God, how we pray that you would continue to work in our hearts. And that through your word now, God, you would open our eyes to see Jesus. To change our lives by who he is and what he's done for us. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And to our church and to each one of us. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. So today is the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. That's not something we talk a lot about, the persecuted church. So just an update. Some current data from Open Doors Ministries from 2022 about the church around the world that's being persecuted today. More than 360 million Christians suffer high levels of persecution and discrimination for their faith. In the World Watch List top 50 countries alone, there are 312 million Christians facing ex very high or extreme levels. Talking about those that are imprisoned, tortured, and martyred for their faith. If you translate all those numbers down worldwide, it, it, it equates to one in seven Christians worldwide is persecuted. By the way, that's up from two years ago when it was one in nine. Uh, that one in seven breaks down this way by some different continents. One in five believers in Africa is persecuted, facing extremely high or very high levels of persecution. Two out of five in Asia and one in 15 in Latin America. Persecution of Christians has reached the highest levels since the World Watch list began nearly 30 years ago. We believe that persecution of the church is greater today than it's ever been in all of church history since Christ was here. And yet that seems so foreign to us, does it not? Every country in the top 50 uh, on that world watch list is ranked as experiencing, as we said, very high or extreme levels of persecution. But even outside of that top 50, there's an additional 26 countries that are categorized as having very high or high levels of persecutions. God's Word tells us that this is normal for followers of Jesus. In 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, Paul said to Timothy, the pastor at the church of Ephesus, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. He comes off of a statement about his own sufferings, Paul does, and he says, indeed, Timothy, just, just understand this, it's not just for guys like me, the Apostle Paul, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. In 1 Peter 4, verses 12 to 14, Peter says to his readers and to his hearers, 
Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests on you. And even through the persecution Jesus and his disciples told us would come, God is building his church. And people are coming to faith even in hostile environments. Uh, Among the Afghanis, the Kurds, the Yemeni, the Iranians. There the church is active and alive. And while persecution is intensifying, stories abound of Resolute faith and steadfastness in the face of opposition. Our brothers and sisters standing firm in their faith and faithfulness to Jesus Christ. The light keeps shining in the darkness, and the darkness has not overpowered it. God's faithfulness remains a beacon, even in the most dangerous places on earth to be a Christian. One story told by Voice of the Martyrs about a believer in Afghanistan illustrates this. In Afghan culture, neighbors are referred to as those who share our shade, an expression that may originate from people sharing the, same, the, the shade of the same tree who live next door to each other. So when the Afghans move, they talk about changing their shade. Since the Taliban took over the country late, in last, late last August, One of our brothers in Christ, Abdullah, an Afghan believer, has had to change his shade three times. Abdullah was led to Christ by a Christian relative, someone known in that community as having left Islam to follow Jesus. And not long after the Taliban takeover, Abdullah's neighbors warned him that Taliban fighters had come to his house looking for his Christian relative that was well known. Abdullah and his family left that same day to find new shade. They moved to a different location, to a place where they were not so well known. But even in that place, people soon began asking questions. Why don't, you, why don't we see you at the mosque on Fridays, they asked. You missed the, the weekly p- prayers again this week. Now, before last August, such questions were just mildly bothersome intrusions by nosy neighbors. But now those questions carry the weight of armed Taliban fighters and the Afghan national government. The Taliban wants every Afghan to follow its strict form of Sunni Islam. In their eyes, anyone who fails to attend mosque is either a traitor or an infidel. Both, they believe, should be punished. And so with the Taliban in power, anyone from a local mosque leader to a commander in the national security police in your town may be a member of the Taliban's network. Believers discovered by the Taliban have been beaten and imprisoned. So if an official calls a Christian to a meeting, the believer's got to decide whether to attend the meeting, to try to stall the official, or immediately flee the country. When Abdullah's new neighbors began asking questions, he and his family moved again, forcing him to close his business and abandon his livelihood amid an economy in Iran and in Afghanistan that's in utter ruin. But he hasn't stopped serving Christ. 
He stays in regular contact with new Afghan believers. He even travels to pray with them and to encourage them and to study God's word with them. In a recent message to a Christian outside of Afghanistan, Abdullah referenced Romans 8, agreeing with Paul that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You see, Abdullah knows that he and other Afghan Christians who decided to remain in the country are more than conquerors through him who loved us, verse 37 of Romans 8, and that nothing, not even Taliban fighters with AK-47s and rocket-propelled grenades will be able to separate them from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We continue this morning our series called the searching eyes of our Savior from Revelations 2 and 3, where Jesus speaks directly to seven churches there in Asia Minor and by proxy to us today. Today we come to the church at Smyrna, where believers were being persecuted and martyred for Christ, much like Afghanistan or Iran, and right on down the list. Revelation chapter 2, verse 8. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. I know, Jesus speaking, your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. The church at Smyrna was a persecuted but persevering and eternally protected church. The church at Smyrna was a persecuted but persevering and eternally protected church. Here's the truth I want you to take home from Revelation 2, 8 through 11. Jesus will powerfully use, eternally protect, and reward a persevering church in and through even persecution and martyrdom. It's his plan. It's how he's working in the lives of 300 plus million of our brothers and sisters in the world. Jesus will powerfully use, eternally protect, and reward a persevering church in and through persecution and martyrdom. First of all, notice with me from verse 8, the confrontation of Christ. Again, this is, we've seen it in every letter so far. Jesus confronts his, his hearers, whatever the local church is, in this case Smyrna, with a, a, a snapshot picture of who he is. It's how he wants to th them to think about him as they hear the specific message he has for their particular church. The confrontation of Christ for the church at Smyrna in verse 8 is this. Who am I, Jesus says? These are the words of the first and the last. The one who died and came to life. By the way, we read that again. These, most of these uh, introductions of Jesus of himself come right out of Revelation 1, 9 through 20. The words of the first and last. Who is this Jesus? Who, how is it Jesus wants the church at Smyrna to think of him as they hear his, his, his message? Hear, hear these words as the words of the first and last. That's who I am. I'm the one who died and came to life. Hebrews 7, 
verse 16 says that Jesus became our Savior and our great and eternal high priest by the power of an indestructible life. By the power of an indestructible life. In in other words, though Jesus died on the cross, three days later he raised himself up from death to live and reign forever as the eternal Savior, proving that the price he paid on the cross was indeed sufficient and paid in full. And now he is the one who alone can raise and save the spiritually dead and keep them through any suffering, even death, and then physically raise them unto eternal life. Such is the Savior that speaks the following message, the rest of the words of this letter to the persecuted church at Smyrna. He wants them to know, I am the one that raised you to spiritual life, and I am the one that as the risen, reigning king over all things, I can carry you and keep you and protect you and make sure you get to my presence in glory Even if it's through a martyr's death, I'm the one who's alive forevermore. Now, I want you to notice as we move through this text, just like the church at Philadelphia, there's no criticism for the church at Smyrna. Normally, we have Jesus show us who he is, give a commendation or an encouragement about some good things that are going, though there's a couple churches that don't don't get any commendation. But then there's a, a criticism. Here's the things that... Some issues we've got to deal with. Well, there are no issues to deal with here. This is a faithful church, much like that one at Philadelphia. And so he goes right to the commendation there in verse 9. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. And the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. So because of the church at Smyrna's faithfulness to Jesus, they were being slandered. That is, they were being turned in by local Jews to the Roman authorities because they would not say Caesar is Lord. And consequently, the Romans, at the encouragement of the local Jews, were heavily persecuting them. People in Smyrna had and would be put to death for their faith. And because they wouldn't turn from Christ and say, only Jesus is Lord, and and, and just say, Caesar is Lord. Smyrna was known for its great loyalty to Rome and the imperial cult, that is, the worship of the emperor. The Romans forced you to worship the emperor as a god. And in Smyrna, it was on steroids. In fact, there in Smyrna, you had to get a certificate each year that verified you had made your annual sacrifice to the emperor as your god. Perhaps that's why the persecution was more intense in Smyrna than some of the other cities like Philadelphia. Because faithful believers, you see, would not, could not obey that edict and were regularly then discovered as being without a certificate. And if you didn't have a certificate... You're punished. As John MacArthur says, the church in Smyrna had nothing. We just read it. You are poor. I know your tribulation and your poverty. The church at Smyrna had nothing, but according to Jesus, was spiritually rich. Yet you are rich. 
and the church in Laodicea that we'll talk about next Sunday had everything materially but was spiritually bankrupt. So it is today. As we look around the world, our brothers and sisters around the world, as a majority of Christians in the world, is that clicking with you? Do you understand how many of your brothers and sisters are persecuted today? Like, we're the minority. Everybody, Eric, is that those numbers making sense? We're the oddballs out. Our brothers and sisters around the world, as a majority, are poor and persecuted. They're poor because they're persecuted. Just like the church at Smyrna, they are economically destitute because they're faithful spiritually to Jesus. Their faith gets them a messed up financial situation. But they are, as Jesus encourages the church at Smyrna, spiritually rich in Him. While we, who are economically rich and comfortable without persecution, are spiritually poor so many times in our relationship to Jesus. More on that next week as you look at the church at Laodicea. But here Jesus is comforting the church at Smyrna. He's letting them know, I see you. I know your tribulation. You're not out of my sight. It may feel like I don't know what you're going through, but I see you. I know your tribulation. And furthermore, I see your poverty. I know what you're enduring because of your faithfulness to me. It's not just the, the, the slander of the Jews. It's not just the persecution of the Romans. You have, you're, you're, you're about to starve to death, literally. You've been so ostracized because of me. And I see you, but here's what I want you to know. You're poor. I see your poverty. But you are rich. You've got riches that this world can't even begin to fathom. You are eternally, you are spiritually in me rich. And so it is for the church around the world today. Our brothers and sisters that suffer. Thirdly this morning, I want you to see Christ's call to courage. In verse 10, Jesus says, Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Now, they were already suffering. I see your tribulation. I see your poverty. But there was more coming. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. They'd been suffering. He wanted them to know he saw their suffering. He wanted to encourage them with his knowledge of them. He wanted to encourage them that they were being faithful and thus were spiritually rich in him. But he wanted to prepare them for what was to come. And he gives this call to courage. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. It's fixing to get worse. More's coming. He tells them what's coming in the near future for them. And he calls them to courage in the face of suffering. They'd be imprisoned. They would have a time of tribulation during which, you catch that, God would at the same time be working to test them. That is to prove and purify and display their faith in Jesus. Whenever persecution comes, God is at work to try and test our faith. We could spend hours going through the New Testament looking at that thing of how God allows various trials in, into our lives, even opposition and persecution to purify, refine, and cause our faith to shine in a dark world. In fact, in one place, back in Luke 21, you'll remember this from our recent study of Luke, 
Jesus said, at some point you're going to be brought before kings, you're going to be persecuted, and, 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 and you're going to be called before kings, and, 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 and they're, going to, they're going to torment you, they're going to persecute you, and that will be your moment. That will be the opportunity Jesus gives you, the suffering for witness. And you'll testify to me there. In this passage, in this, in, here in verse 10, the reference to having tribulation for 10 days... That seems to be an allusion to Daniel and his three friends as they were tested for 10 days in Daniel 1, verses 12 to 15 under Nebuchadnezzar. A testing that showed them to be, verse 15 of Daniel 1 says, better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. You remember they refused to eat the, 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 the food from the, the, just the everyday pagan uh, worship that, was, that they, they were going to be fed. They ate only vegetables, the Bible tells us in Daniel 1, and the result was they looked better and were healthier than the other guys there, the young men in, in, in the king's court. And so it seems to be an allusion back to that. The point is that the church at Smyrna would be tested for an undefined but limited time, and Jesus wants them to stand faithful to him and not compromise with idolatry, even if it cost them their lives. Because if they are found faithful, they will receive the crown of life, he says, and will not be hurt by the second death. That is, they will have eternal victory as God's children. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil's about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. He wants them to know they, if they'll be faithful, they will have eternal Victory, And that's exactly what he goes on to promise them in the rest of verse 10 and, and, and verse 11. Notice with me finally this morning the conqueror's reward from Christ. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. It's isn't the first time Jesus had taught this way. When he was here the first time, when he was here on earth the first time, then in Matthew 24, verse 9, and also verse 13, he said this, Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Verse 13 of Matthew 24, But the one who endures to the end will be saved. You're, you're, going, to be, you're going to be persecuted. You're, they're going to deliver you to tribulation. You're going to be put up to death. You will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus' words are being fulfilled all around the world today in the body of Christ. Jesus' words were about to be fulfilled, even martyrdom there at the church at Smyrna. And he says, be faithful to death. Here's my promise. If you'll be faithful to me to death, then I'll give you the crown of life. The one who conquers or is faithful unto death will not be hurt by the second death. To illustrate the hatred of the Christians there in Smyrna, history has left us the details of the death of Polycarp. Has anybody ever heard the name Polycarp? Anybody ever studied him in history, heard that name? Here's what's interesting. Polycarp was from Smyrna. Polycarp knew John. That is the same John 
who wrote the book that we've been reading from called Revelation, who received the vision from Jesus. Polycarp and John worked together in the seven churches of Asia Minor that we've been dealing with and see listed in Revelation 1 through 3. Polycarp was the pastor of the church, historians tell us, at Smyrna. And Polycarp was martyred there in Smyrna in 155 A.D., 50 to 60-something years or so after the, the, the time of the writing of this letter, at the age of about 86. Here's his story. In a letter addressed by the church at Smyrna to the churches in the Christian world, it's told that Jews joined with heathen and clamoring that Polycarp, the Christian leader of Smyrna, should be cast to the lions or burned alive. And then were foremost in bringing logs for the fire and in the endeavor to prevent the remains of the martyr from being delivered to his Christian friends for burial. It was the time of the public games. The city of Smyrna was crowded. The crowds were excited. Suddenly the shout went up, Away with the atheist! Let Polycarp be searched for. In that culture, the atheists were the Christians. They didn't believe the emperor was God, and therefore they had the wrong God. They didn't believe in any real God. They followed some guy named Jesus. Away with the atheists, let Polycarp be searched for. No doubt, says this historian, Polycarp could have escaped, but already he had had a dream in which he saw the pillow under his head burning with fire, and he had awakened to tell his followers, his church members, I will be burned alive. His whereabouts were betrayed to the persecutors by a little slave girl who collapsed under torture, and they came to arrest him. Not even the soldier captain wished to see Polycarp die on the brief journey into the city. He pled with this old man, 86-year-old preacher. What harm is it, he says to Polycarp, what harm is it to say Caesar is Lord and to offer sacrifice and to save your life? The soldier that arrested him liked old Polycarp. Polycarp was adamant that, for him, only Jesus Christ was Lord. He entered the arena. The proconsul gave him the choice of cursing the name of Christ and making that sacrifice to Caesar or death. And his, infamous, his famous words are, are these, Eighty and six years have I served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? The proconsul threatened him with burning. Polycarp replied, You threaten me with the fire that burns for a time and is quickly quenched, for you do not know the fire which awaits the wicked in the judgment to come and an everlasting punishment. Why are you waiting? Come do what you will. He remained unmoved. So the crowds came, flocking with sticks from their workshops and from the baths and the Jews, even although although they were breaking the Sabbath law by carrying such burdens, were foremost in the clamor and in bringing wood for the fire. They were going to bind him to the stake. But Polycarp said, Leave me as I am. For he who gives me power to endure the fire will grant me to remain in the flames unmoved, even without the security you will give by the binding. So they left him loosely bound in the flames, and there he died for Christ. And yet Polycarp was kept by Jesus and received the crown of life. And though he died the first death of the body, to use the language of Revelation, he will be unharmed by the second death of eternal torment. 
Because Jesus said, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Near the end of the book of Revelation, we have this word from Jesus in Revelation 2 confirmed. Revelation 20, verse 4. John says, then I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his, its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. The rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. But they will be priests of God and of Christ. And they will reign with him for a thousand years. We're going to close the service out a little differently this morning. I want us to close our time by praying for the persecuted church. Our brothers and sisters worldwide who face imprisonment, torture, and death because they love and are faithful to Jesus. There's some slides up here on the screens, and we're just going to walk through uh, a few of these and pray together. So uh, you can leave your eyes open. Can, can, we, is that, can Baptists do that? Like, can you pray with your eyes open while you're looking? And like, can we just kind of pray while we talk through this? So here we go. Um, next slide. Christians living on the world's most dangerous frontier mission fields cherish God's Word, and so here's how we want to pray. Pray that every Christian living in hostile areas and restricted nations would receive their own copy of the Bible. You know what they want more than anything is not freedom from persecution. They want a copy of God's Word that's their own. Would you just bow your head with me and pray that way? Father, will you, we pray, use us in giving? Will you use those organizations that are in place to smuggle Bibles into restricted access nations? God, would you use them and would you get your, your word, a copy of the Bible, into the hands of all of your people worldwide, we ask in Christ's name. Persecutors around the world are threatened by God's word. So those persecuting our brothers and sisters, they're threatened by God's word. You know why? Because the word of God is powerful, amen? It's a sharp two-edged sword. It messes with your mind and your heart when you get to reading it or, you, or people start telling you what it says. And they seek to destroy, go back one, I'm not one quite done there, go, they seek to destroy or remove Bibles in order to discourage the witness of Christians. But here's what God's wanting to happen when they do that, when they steal the Bibles from the Christians. Y'all tracking? Anybody kind of got an idea what's fixing to happen? We want to pray that Christians will be wise as serpent and, as, and innocent as doves as they smuggle and distribute Bibles. They need Bibles for their own spiritual strength and health, amen. But we also want to pray, I believe on the next slide, that persecutors who seize those Bibles will actually read them, and when they read them, that God will use it to save them. You remember the Apostle Paul? What was his name before? Saul of Tarsus, and what was he? One of the greatest persecutors of the church that the world's ever known. He wanted Christians, Jesus followers, to die. He stood and watched Stephen get stoned, and yet God intervened and saved the foremost of persecutors of the church at that time. So will you pray with me? Father, we pray that you would give wisdom in the smuggling of Bibles so that our brothers and sisters could have the nourishment spiritually that they need through the Word of God. But God, when 
their persecutors steal their Bibles. We pray that through the Scripture, through the Word of God, the gospel that is clear in your Word, God, that these torturers and tormentors and persecutors of the church would be saved through the reading of your Word. So help them to steal some and save those, God, that you would in those ways. We ask in Jesus' name. Placing the Bible in the hands of every believer living on the world's most difficult and dangerous frontier missions fields will encourage them to be bold witnesses for Christ. And so we want to pray that we may hasten the fulfillment of God's promise that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's both by us getting Bibles to these, to these believers, our brothers and sisters, but also through them being faithful witnesses where they are. So pray with me now. Father, may your glory cover the world as the, as the, the waters cover uh, the seas. Lord, make your people, our brothers and sisters, we can't even imagine this, Lord. Just, just the, the, the cold hard truth is we don't understand these things about which we speak and pray. But we, but we believe they're true and we want to be obedient and pray for our brothers who are suffering our sisters who are dying for you. God, strengthen them and use them as mighty witnesses, even to their persecutors today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. And then finally, I want us to close by praying for ourselves. Would you just pray this prayer with me? I'll, you just listen to me as I, as I read this. Heavenly Father, inspire me through the example of my persecuted brothers and sisters to first of all cherish your word. Do we really cherish his word? And then may we serve you boldly so that others may be filled with the knowledge of your glory. You know, our, our, our brothers and sisters, our forever family, the world over that are being persecute, persecuted, they pray for us. They, they covet our prayers. But the reality is we can certainly be inspired by their faith. Amen? by their faithfulness. And so may we be, and may we be changed, even by just taking these few minutes to pray for the church. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love and encouragement to the church at Smyrna. We're not the church at Smyrna. A day could come when we are, and fools we all are, if we don't think that's possible. God, may we listen to this letter to Smyrna. May we spend some time individually as your people rereading what we've blasted through this morning all too quickly. And may we hear what you say so that if it does come, we're ready. But, oh, God, how we pray for those for whom this is not some Sunday morning exercise to think about what might happen someday. But right now they're meeting in secret. Right now our brother is sitting in prison. Our sister is being physically marred and, and beaten. 
My brother's watching his children be murdered in front of him. His wife raped and left for dead. And it's all happening only because they are faithful to Jesus. And yet, they are remaining faithful to Jesus. Who said, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Who said, the one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Oh God, strengthen them. Thank you for the eternal hope that causes our present suffering and theirs to not be comparable to the glory that is ours and will be ours in your presence. Thank you that nothing can separate them from your love. Challenge us in a lot of these things to examine our own commitment to you. To examine our own hearts to see if we can even imagine what this kind of faithfulness is like. And make us ready for whatever's ahead for us. We thank you, Father, for your presence in this time. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Close our time in worship. Whatever.
all God's people said? Amen. Are you ready for the day? Aren't you longing for his return? Amen. Amen. Please be seated.